When you read through the Gospels, one of the things that's interesting to me is the places where people met Jesus. Last week we saw Bartimaeus who met Jesus along the side of the road. Think of Zacchaeus met Jesus when he's up a tree. Today we look at a woman who met Jesus at a well. From John chapter 4. I'm going to read the first 14 verses. John chapter 4. Verses 1 through 14. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing but his disciples were, he left Judea and went away again into Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria, so he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it? That you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle. Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Let's bow and pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the living water. You are the one that can satisfy our soul. You are the only one who can satisfy our soul. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would open your word to us today and And reveal to us who you are, why you came, how much we need you, and how you are able to change our lives in a moment. So, Father, we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to open our minds and hearts to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In January of 1943... There was some warm Chinook winds that came to South Dakota, the city of Spearfish, quickly raising the temperature from four below to 45 degrees above zero. That's 49 degrees. And it raised that temperature, the temperature raised in just two minutes. (laughs) That is pretty... Amazing, isn't it? 49 degree change in just two minutes. Maybe even more amazing is 
the widest temperature change recorded in U.S. history within a 24-hour period. It took place at a town called Loma, Montana. The temperature was raised from minus 54 to 49 degrees above zero. That's 103 degrees in a 24-hour period. Sudden change, huh? Drastic change just in, seems like a moment of time. I'd suggest to you that sudden change isn't just a weather phenomenon. It's the very nature of life in this world. Things can change so quickly, can't they? Wow. Sometimes the change that comes quickly is difficult change. Change maybe that happens with an accident all of a sudden. Or maybe a diagnosis that we receive from the doctor that really changes life just like that. But then there are other changes that come to life that are quickly and wonderful changes. And we see an example of that in our text. Here's this woman at the well. She was coming just to to do her daily duty of gathering water to drink and cook with for her family. And something wonderful, something significant happened to her life just like that, right? She met Jesus. She met the Messiah. She met the one who had come to give her life, to give her living water, and the very direction of her life was changed in a moment. That's the beauty of salvation, right? That's the beauty of the gospel, where Jesus can take a life and completely turn it around in a moment. Here it took place at a well. There are three things our text tells us about meeting Jesus that I want us to notice this morning. First of all, notice that Jesus deliberately pursues us. He deliberately pursues us. It might appear as you read through this chapter that that Jesus met the woman at the well by accident. Just happened, right? I mean, Jesus was traveling from Judea to Samaria and well, you just go through uh, excuse me, from Judea to Galilee and you just go through Samaria, but John makes it clear here that this meeting wasn't accidental, not at all. Verse 3 says, he left Judea and went away again into Galilee. And notice this phrase Then it says, and he had to pass through Samaria. Now that's a significant statement. The word had to means that it was necessary for Jesus to go through Samaria. And what makes this interesting is because this was contrary to what most of the Jews would do that day. When traveling from Judea to Galilee, even though Samaria was right in between, they sidestepped Samaria. They did not want to go through Samaria because the relationship between Samaritans and Jews was awful. It was not good at at all. And they didn't even want to put their feet on Samaritan soil. 
And so when it says that Jesus had to pass through Samaria, it's an interesting statement. I know someone who is a rabid Vikings fan who used to travel from here down to Florida every winter. And he actually told me, he said, I avoid going through Wisconsin because of the Packers. <laughs> now, I'm not sure if he was just pulling my leg or if there was some truth to that, but there is a, at least in his heart, a bitter hatred for the, the border battle between the Vikings and the Packers. He does not want to put his foot in Wisconsin. Well, that's kind of like it was, only worse with Jews in that day. So why did John say that Jesus had to pass through Samaria? If you read through the Gospels, you will notice how often Jesus mentions that he has come to do the will of the Father. And we find that exactly in our text here, verse 34, uh, the disciples were, brought some food to him, and, and Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to accomplish his work. What is the will of the one who sent him? Scripture is pretty clear about that, right? God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God desires that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So in obedience to the Father, Jesus went through Samaria. That was the Father's will. And guess what his purpose was? I think you know. To meet that woman at the well. One commentator says, The Lord was compelled to pass through Samaria and stop in a certain village, not to save time and steps, but because he had a divine appointment. Don't you love those divine appointments? When God arranges a meeting to bring someone to a living faith in Jesus, maybe you look back in your life and you can see, yes, this was a divine appointment. This was the day that Jesus met me and he arranged it in a wonderful way. I read a story this week about a, a meeting uh, with, uh, well, Stuart Briscoe. Some of you know Stuart Briscoe. He was at Catherine Way Bible School and was separated from his wife for a day because he left her the car and took the keys. I don't know if any of you have ever done that, but that's what happened. And after a couple hours, his wife Jill borrowed another car, and as she was driving down the road, she saw some girls hitchhiking. And so she picked them up. They turned, to be, they turned out to be three German girls who were visiting England. And so she managed to persuade these girls to come with her to a conference for German Christian young people. And one of those girls was wonderfully saved. God transformed her life. Well, this girl was a theological student in Germany. And she had come under some very liberal teaching that led her to doubt and confusion. 
And so she had delivered an ultimatum to God, which I wouldn't uh, encourage you to do, but she had delivered an ultimatum to God whose existence she doubted. She told God, if you are there, show yourself to me in some way. And she said, I'll give you three months. Now, okay, again, I wouldn't encourage you to do that. And she said, if, if he didn't reveal himself to her, she said, I'll quit my schooling. I'll quit theology. I'll quit religion. And I think I'm going to quit living because there's nothing to live for. After explaining this, what she had done, she turned to Stuart Briscoe's wife with great emotion and said the three months ends today. You talk about a divine appointment. You talk about God arranging all of those circumstances to, to put this doubting woman in touch with someone who could point her to Jesus. <laughs> that was a divine appointment. And so if you know the Lord as your Savior, maybe your story isn't as dramatic as that. But you are saved today because Jesus had a divine appointment with you. Maybe he brought someone into your life who led you to Jesus. Maybe you were at a worship service, a Bible study, an evangelistic meeting, and, and you knew the message was just for you. And You may not have realized it at the time, but you are saved today because Jesus deliberately pursued you. And that's what Scripture says, right? The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Is Jesus pursuing you today? Is this your divine appointment because you need a living relationship with Jesus? It is no accident that you're here today. You might think so. You might not even want to be here. Here's your appointment. Jesus pursues you. Notice, secondly, that Jesus lovingly persuades us. The way that Jesus treated the woman at the well would have been unheard of among the Jews. Most of the Jews would have despised her, but Jesus, he made it clear that, that he loved her. And there's several problems that the Jews would have had with this woman at the well. She was a Samaritan, right? And we read from our text already that Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And if anyone understood this, the author of the Gospel of John did. Because there was a time in his life when he had something that was not very nice to say about Samaritans. Remember that? Luke chapter 9, they were on their way to Jerusalem. And Jesus sent messengers on ahead of them into a village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him. But Luke 9.53 says, But they did not receive him because he was traveling to Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw this, do you remember what they said? They said, Lord... Do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and destroy them? <laughs> a disciple 
Do you want these people to just be wiped out, Lord? They're Samaritans. and They did not receive you. So when John tells us that there were problems between Jews and Samaritans, he wasn't kidding. He wasn't kidding at all. Things were really bad between these people. And so there's the first problem. She was a, a Samaritan. Another problem, she was a woman. Some of the stricter rabbis of Jesus' day wouldn't allow other rabbis to greet women in public. That was not accepted. One author even says that some Pharisees were called the bruised and bleeding Pharisee. You know why? Because when they saw a woman in public, they would cover their eyes and sometimes they would bump into things and get bruised. That's how bad it was. So here's this Samaritan, here's this Samaritan woman, and to top it off, she was an immoral woman. And so this would have been shocking to to the Jews of Jesus' day that he would actually have a conversation with this woman and even ask her if she would give him a drink from her water pot. Oh man, can you believe that? How, how, How shocking that would be. Interesting to notice how Jesus dealt with her. He certainly got her attention by asking her for a drink of water. She was like, what in the world is going on? You're a Jew and you're talking to me and you're asking me for a drink of water? She says, you know the thing, you know all things are between Jews and Samaritans. But Jesus used the subject of water to turn the conversation to a spiritual thing. I love how Jesus had very common experiences and turned it into a witnessing a good lesson for us, right? And so in verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. So if you're this woman thinking, no, Okay, what are, you, what are you talking about? Who, who are you? Why are you saying this to me? And... What do you mean by living water? So she said to him in verse 11, Sir, you don't have anything to draw with. The well is deep. Where in the world are you going to get this living water? Then she said, You're not greater than our father Abraham, are you? (laughs) Who gave us the well and drank of him himself and his sons and his cattle. And then Jesus answered and said to her in verse 13, Everyone who drinks of this water in this well... You're going to thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. So Jesus took that simple illustration of water and said, You have just met the living water. And if you take a drink, you are going to be satisfied. I mentioned in a sermon a while back about my grandpa. That's what he did in a little town that, that he was growing up. He, he wanted to see city water come in, and so he went to every home in that town 
and, and talked to them about the value of getting city water. And then he said, there's some other kind of water I want to tell you about. He said, it's living water. It's Jesus. He shared his testimony with every home in that community. Puts me to shame. Living water. Now, if you look at how the Samaritan woman responds in verse 15, it's obvious she doesn't understand what Jesus meant. She said, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. It's like she thought it was some kind of supernatural Gatorade or something, right? If I could just, you know, take a drink of this water, just think of all the time it would save me. Wouldn't have to keep coming back every day to the well to get this water. So, so she didn't understand what, what Jesus was saying. He was talking about spiritual life, spiritual water. And it was vital for her to know what this water is. She needed to know that only Jesus, the living water, could satisfy her soul. So look what Jesus did. It's almost like, whoa, where did that come from? Because he said to her in verse 16, go call your husband and come here. It's like, okay, how, how, how does this fit here? Go call your husband and come here. Why would Jesus ask her to go call her husband? If you read on, you'll see why. Verse 17 the woman answered and said, I don't have a husband. Jesus said, yeah, you're right. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. She had been married and divorced five times, and now she was living with a man who was not her husband. And Jesus said, you are right. You're not married. You're living with someone. So Jesus was showing the Samaritan woman at least a couple things. Number one, that, that there was something lacking in her life. She never found lasting fulfillment because she was looking in the wrong place. One author says her life was a miserable chain of unfulfilling relationships. The pathetic fact that she had married five times indicates that she longed for fulfillment in her life and she had sought for it intensely, but never found it. Maybe this is a good time to say this. Marriage is not designed to make you happy. Marriage is for happy people. You need Jesus. No person, no human being can satisfy the longing of your soul only Jesus can. So if you think that young strapping guy or that beautiful woman is going to meet the need of your heart apart from Jesus, it ain't going to happen. It's not going to happen. But a more important reason Jesus referred to her many husbands is because he was lovingly confronting her of her need for a Savior, wasn't he? Before she would ever be saved, 
She needed to understand that she was a sinner in need of a Savior. You get the impression that Jesus understood law and gospel, didn't he? He presented the law first, showing her need for a Savior. And then when that reality became clear in her heart, he presented himself as the Savior. Law and gospel. As Lutherans, we believe in that, don't we? The proclamation of the law to show us our need, and then the gospel becomes oh so sweet, doesn't it? But if you don't think you have a need, what does the gospel mean? Huh? When you realize how lost you are, ooh, that is, that is good news. Now, notice the response of this woman. It's quite interesting. Verse 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And then she says, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, Mount Gerizim, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. What is she doing here? It appears that she is getting at least a little bit uncomfortable with what Jesus said to her. So she changes the subject a little bit with a theological question. Okay? Let's not talk so much about me now. Let's talk about something else. I got this question from the, about the Bible that I don't fully understand. Okay? Kind of deflecting. You ever had that happen when you witness to someone? And they change the subject and let's, let, let's talk about something else. And, and so that's what she did. But Jesus gets the conversation back on track right away. In verse 21, Jesus said to her woman, Believe me. An hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying worship has nothing to do with the location of the temple. It has everything to do with the salvation of the soul. And to make sure she understood who had come to save her, Jesus said, I am the one who has come to save you. Because in verse 25, the woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he'll declare to us all things. He'll ask these, answer all these important questions we have. He's coming. What did Jesus say? I'm the one. I am the Messiah. I am the Savior. I am the one that you need to know. I am the living water. I am the one. So here we see the reason why Jesus had this conversation with this Samaritan woman. He wanted her to know that He had come to be her Savior. And He lovingly persuades her here by showing her how much 
she needs him. And that he alone is her only hope of salvation. So Jesus deliberately pursues us. He lovingly persuades us. And then thirdly, Jesus purposefully transforms us. Why does Jesus change us? Why does he transform our lives? Jesus tells the Samaritan woman what that purpose is in verse 23. Jesus said, but an hour is coming, and now is, it's here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for such people the Father seeks to be his worshiper. Why does Jesus transform us to become his worshipers, right? That we might worship him. We aren't saved just to be spared from hell. As wonderful as that is, right? Salvation isn't just fire insurance, spared from hell. And we aren't saved just so we have a place in heaven as wonderful as that is. Jesus saves us that we might become true worshipers of the Father. That we might praise Him. That we might live our life for Him, for His honor and for His glory. And Jesus tells us what it means to truly worship. What is a true worshiper? Jesus said that we are called to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. What does that mean? To worship God in spirit means that worship is a matter of the heart. It's an internal transformation of our inner being rather than some kind of an outward conformity to ceremonies and rituals. That's kind of the perspective of the Samaritan woman. You know, Where's the right place to worship? What's the right order of service to worship? You know, all these external things rather than a change of, of the heart. And there are people like that in our world today all over the place, right? What's the right way to worship? Right place, the right things to do. And, and their heart has not been changed. Kind of going through the, the motions. Went to church today. Check that off. I have a count for something, right? Put some money in there. There's two brownie points. You know, as if these outward things. Uh, it's not that. Jesus said it's not in Gerizim. It's not in Jerusalem. It's a matter of, of the heart. Worshipping Him in, in spirit, a, a change in our inner being. But then to worship God in truth means to worship God based upon who He is and how He has revealed Himself in His Word. And this woman didn't understand that because Jesus said, you worship what you don't know. There was a lack of Knowledge and lack of understanding. Didn't understand the truth of, of God's Word. And, and so to worship in truth means to worship based upon who He is, how He has revealed Himself in His Word. How many times have you heard people say, 
something like this. My God would never judge anyone. Or my God would never send anyone to hell. Or my God loves everyone and everyone will get to heaven. All religions lead to the same place. Is that worshiping God in truth? That is contrary to His Word. That's not worship. That's a God of a person's own imagination. And you know what that is called? Idolatry. That's idolatry. For someone to say, my God wouldn't do this when the Word of God says different, that is idolatry. That's not worshiping in truth. And so there's a heart change in spirit, and then we worship the God as He has revealed Himself in His Word. Not a God of our own imagination. So Jesus transforms us to become His worshipers. And when we become His worshipers, something else happens. We become His witnesses. We experience the living water, the life-changing work of Jesus. Is that not something you want others to know? This woman wanted that, right? If you look at verse 28, she left her water pot and went into the city. Isn't that interesting? She had come to get water, but she was so uh, awestruck by what Jesus had done with her life. She just left her water pot. She ran into the city and she told the people in Samaria, she just met the Messiah. She had just met Jesus. And I don't know if she realized what kind of an impact she would have, but verse 39 says, From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things that I've done. Isn't that wonderful? Her life was changed, and she wanted others to know of what Jesus had done for her. She was searching. Someone who could satisfy the deep longing in her soul, but she never found that man that could do it. (laughs) Because no man can do it. But when she met Jesus, she drank of that water that she would never thirst again. Because she experienced the change that only Jesus can bring. I think of a song that Lanny Wolf has written. Only Jesus can satisfy your soul. Listen to this song. The world will try to satisfy that longing in your soul. You may search the wide world over, but you'll be just as before. You'll never find true satisfaction until you've found the Lord. For only Jesus can satisfy your soul. If you could have the fame and fortune all the world you could obtain... Yet you have not Christ within, your living here would be in vain. There'll come a time when death shall call you, riches cannot help you then. So come to Jesus so He can satisfy. Only Jesus can satisfy your soul, 
Only He can change your heart and make you whole. He'll give you peace you never knew. Sweet love and joy in heaven too. For only Jesus can satisfy your soul. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us to see today that there is nothing that this world has to offer that could ever satisfy the deep longing in our soul that only you can fill. Lord, you did that for that Samaritan woman. And you can do that today, Lord. You can satisfy the, the longing in our soul by cleansing us and forgiving us and coming to dwell within us, and giving us to drink of the living water that satisfies our thirst. Lord, would you do that work in our midst today? Would you bring about that life giving water that quenches the thirst of the soul. And may you, Lord Jesus, receive all the glory and all the praise. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray.